What's up, world? Welcome back to the Country Smoke Podcast. It is September the 13th, 2019. And on today's episode, I have a good bit of topics for you. Um, Some good topics at that. I will be talking about my Miami Hurricanes. Um, I will also get into what's going on with the college football landscape as far as the state of Florida goes. Um, Florida once was a powerhouse as far as football goes in the state of Florida as far as Florida State, Miami, Florida once was a powerhouse. That is not the case right now. So what is going on? I will give you my opinion. Um, I'll also get into the NFL and talk about Minka Fitzpatrick one uh, on the trade out of Miami, and I will tell you why I don't like that. Um, I'll also speak on the Odell Beckham versus Greg Williams situation, and also I gave them to you yesterday, but I'm gonna give you my country five picks. I'm really not gonna. I'm gonna give them to you, but I'm really gonna break down the keys to victory for each team in those five games. Um, So that's what I have lined up for you today. So I'm going to get started by talking about my Miami Hurricanes. And um, we are 0-2 at the moment. And I see a lot of Miami Hurricanes fans via Twitter, Instagram, um, things of that sort. You know, you see a lot of them, fire, Many Diaz and you know some are back and forth on whether they like Jaron Williams and you know, some don't like him. Um, but I'm gonna say I'm not on the fire Many Diaz hype train yet, and for obvious reasons, uh, I don't think this team would be any good no matter who the coach was. First of all, um, and this is his first year. I mean, he's only two games in. I mean, truth be told, this is still this is still Mark Rick's team. Um, players may be playing at different in different roles as far as the depth chart goes, but um, I know he brought some people in from you know as far as the transfer portal. But um, for the most part, this is still Mark Rick's team. It, it may be a lot of players, or maybe the majority of the roster may be. Players that he wouldn't have, you know, went after if he was the coach, say two years, two three years ago. So uh, I'm gonna give him time to um, implement his plan. But at the same time, I don't see the future. I'm not gonna say I don't see. I'm not uh, hopeful for the future being very bright because the way I see the landscape in college football now. excuse me and our history um, as far as Miami you gotta understand when we was good back then some of these kids coming up now they don't remember that Miami all they remember the the Miami for the last 15 years which is not good and that can tell you why our recruiting class has not been uh, excellent 
you know, in recent memory. Even during some of those 15 years, we still had great recruiting classes, but when you don't have the right coaches, don't put them in the right position to win, the, don't put the players in the right position to be successful, that really doesn't matter. Um, and with Miami, I think a lot of that happened, you know, over the recent years, but we still have a tradition. You know, the tradition is still there. And we're not really living up to the tradition or buying to buying into the tradition from what I see, especially Mark Rick. Um or um I forgot the other coach. I called him the tie. I called him that so much I forgot his name. Um the guy used to always wear the orange tie. But um the thing is Miami used to be known for great defense. No matter what else, we had athletes and we had a great defense. If our offense go out and put up 10 points, in some games we may win 13 to 10 because our defense is good enough to get, you know, or we may win 12 to 10. You never know because our defense was just that good. Or if we lose, we may lose, we may lose 13 to 10. If our offense only put up 10 points. Our tradition has always been a fast, tenacious defense. And it was a couple plays in the Florida game where I just thought tackling was was horrible. Um, I did think tackling was horrible in some plays. But we, for the majority of the game, overall, I think we played pretty good defense in that game. This game against North Carolina, too many big plays. We didn't play defense like I thought we should have played defense. Um, like I said, we're not getting the, the type of players. Uh, Manny Diaz, he knows the tradition of Miami, but we, I mean, and so did Mark Rick, and so, you know, did the orange tie. But we're not bringing those players in. We have a lot of players that's hyped up, but. When it comes to showing it on the football field, I don't see them. In case in point, a lot of our defensive players, our, our senior linebackers, okay, I understand, you know, Quarterman and Pinckney, I understand you're a senior, you're there for four years, but that doesn't matter if you're not making impact plays. That really doesn't matter. And I don't see those guys flash enough for me to give them the hype because they've been there for a while. They don't flash enough for me. I'm sorry. Uh, all offseason, I have heard about Garvin. I've heard about Garvin. He may have made one play in the Florida game, but I haven't. Garvin, it, it, he dis, I don't see it with Garvin. He is not the superstar people hype him up to be. The best defensive lineman in the ACC. He's not. He's not been that so far. If you go out there against Bethune Cookman, who we play uh, tomorrow... That's not gonna impress me because you dominate Bethune Cookman. It impressed me when you play when you dominate the people who is gonna always be on your schedule, the people who who are gonna be in those games that you need to win. That can be important to what happens at the end of the season. That's when big time players show up. That's when big time players show up. If you look at some of these guys that went in the draft of last year, um, um. Nick Bosa, even though he, he stayed injured. In big games, he played pretty good. Um, 
Josh Allen, he, he disappeared sometimes. He's a one-trick pony for the most part, but he still flashed in, in, in those games. Uh, Cleveland Farrell was, he was out of all of them who went in the draft, he was the best as far as in big games. Cleveland Farrell saved his best football in big games, the Notre Dame games, uh, both times in the national championship game against Alabama, uh, the Texas A&M game. Um, and I could, and I may be missing a big game. Um, oh, the Florida State games. Those big games, Cleveland Farrell stepped up and showed up and showed why he was one of the best in the country, if not the best. I don't see that from Garvin. Garvin stays quiet. That whole defensive line, the forward may make a couple of plays in the middle, but uh, uh, I keep hearing about Bethel and. Garvin, um, we don't even play Hill that came from Virginia Tech. He, we don't even play him enough. We we playing. Um, I don't know. I get mad. I forget some of these players' names, but we're playing guys who is not near as talented as these guys. But we're not even playing. They're not in the rotation enough. And I think that is showing in the results of why this defense is not successful. And, and let me tell you what irks me. This turnover chain and this touchdown ring. I find it hard to believe that. You take pride in celebrating a team uh, fumbling the ball on a, on a um, handoff or on a pitch. And you just so happen to recover it. And you go celebrate with a turnover chain like you done caused, like you forced a fumble, made a big hit and forced a fumble getting an interception. That's the problem. That, that, that's, that's nothing to, to celebrate. Okay, you get a turnover. Okay, cool. Offense, let's go get us some points. But the turnover chain and get in front of the camera and all that, that's what's wrong with us now. We're so worried about turnover chains, but when it's time to play shutdown defense, we don't do it. Back in the day, with Miami, we celebrated by by shutting the top running backs in the country down. We celebrated by going against these Heisman hopeful quarterbacks and making them have their worst game of the season against Miami. We didn't need no turnover chain. The, the, the turnover chain was in our play. That's what the turnover chain were. It's um. It's a disconnect between between today's hurricanes and what the tradition is. I used to think that um, that we needed our former players to be, you know, a bigger part of the program. Show these guys what, show these new guys what the tradition was. And from what I see, our guys are. The old guys, the Warren Saps, the Michael Irvins, the Ray Lewis's, Ed Reeds, uh, Edron James, Clinton Portis, um, John Vilmos, DJ Williams, Vince Wilford. All those guys have, you know, come back and been around the team. But I don't, I guess it's, it's not rubbing off. Because. We constantly produced great players. We constantly had big players make big-time plays in big games. And 
right now we we, we don't have that we don't have that I can't really say on one player on defense who I feel like you know if we had a, a played a big time game that would be the guy that make a difference we don't have that I used to can say that I used to consider Antrell Rowe, okay, and that's going to be the guy in this game that, you know, that make that play for us. Vince Wilford, that's going to be the guy that make that key run stop. Uh, William Joseph, that's going to be the guy that, that get pressure from the inside to make that play. John Vilma, that's going to be the guy. DJ Williams, Ed Reed, you used to say that. Every year it was always somebody else. Offensively, the same thing. You, you're not going to be able to stop Willis McGahee for four quarters. You're not going to be able to stop Clinton Portis for four quarters. Frank Gore wasn't that good with Frank Gore, so. Um, used to always say that. You're not going to be able to stop Adrian James. You think you're going to hold down Andre Johnson for four quarters? No. Now, I can't honestly say I have faith in anybody stepping up and being that big-time player. Ken Dorsett was probably one of the most less talented quarterbacks we have had. We don't have quarterbacks recently that was more talented than Ken Dorsey. But they weren't better. They weren't as gritty. They weren't as hungry as Ken Dorsey. I mean, yeah, they made some say well, they didn't have the players around them. Okay, but... I don't care who Ken Dorsey had around him. Ken Dorsey kept you in the game because he, he was greedy. Ken, Ken Dorsey wanted it. Ken Dorsey was a, a great leader. I, I just, I don't see that with the Hurricanes. And, um, I think something has to change. We're not going to get, and I'm, I'm going to segue into the state of Florida as far as football. Florida is not besides the Florida Gators we're not getting the recruits that we usually get it was a time to where Florida State Florida and Miami they were pretty much fighting each other for the best players in the country but either way somebody got either way all three of us got great players because the rest of the country can come in Florida and get our people and let's be real. That's where some of the, the greatest athletes come from is Florida. You look at the landscape now. Florida, they're having a hard time. Florida and Miami. Well, Florida have, has a great class. But Florida State and Miami, they're having a hard time getting people out of their own backyard. People from Florida going to Clemson and Alabama and... Um, um, North Carolina and Notre Dame. That's crazy. That didn't happen. And I had a a conversation, a more of a debate with my co-host on the Views, the Three Views podcast. I'll make sure y'all check that out. But my co-host JQ, I had a, a co-host, and he's my friend of also um, over twenty years. We had a debate about he thinks that he thinks that um, these coaches Florida State, Florida, Miami has to do better and it's up to them to be able to get those guys in 
get them on campus and um, get them, you know, land them as a recruit. But my argument with him was these players right now, they more than ever, right now these players, they're thinking about of course they're thinking about their education, but let's be honest. They're thinking about their future more than their education. Let's be honest. They're thinking about their future. How I'm going to be able to get out of this where I'm at now and get into the NFL and be able to take care of my family. And it's hard to sell those kids on anything right now if you're Miami and Florida State, especially Miami. Florida State has a little more leeway because they done had first round players recently to go in the NFL as of just as of this past draft with Brian Burns um, going to the Carolina Panthers in the first round. I think 20, 28th overall or 26th overall or something like that. Um, so Miami's going to have a harder time than Florida State. Florida also recently put people in the first round uh, in the first round of the draft but that's what these kids are looking at now okay how can I you know be on the big stage I want I want people to see me NFL scouts to see me and see how great I am and if you're going to Florida State in, in Miami you're you're not going to be on display like a Alabama a Clemson Ohio State Georgia, uh, Notre Dame, Michigan. You're not gonna be on the big stage like those teams, and that's really how you. That, that's how you get seen now. That's how you, you can be great with Vanderbilt, but how many people are gonna see you? And then when they do see you, they're gonna say, "Well, look who you're going against." You're not going against great competition. Meanwhile, you could be better than that that cornerback at Ohio State. But guess what? He's playing pretty well against great competition. He's in the spotlight every week. And these players see that. Miami, you're struggling to beat. You can't beat Florida. You can't beat North Carolina. You you lose against Duke. You lose against North Carolina State. Uh, um, Why would I come there? You're a loser. You're losing. You're not going to the championship. I don't see, when I turn on SportsCenter, I never see you, Miami. Unless you're getting throttled by Wisconsin or Clemson. That's the only time I see you. It's nothing that, a, that Manny Diaz can really say. And kids don't want to hear it. And my co-host, JQ, he said, you know, convince these kids to come to the program and help turn it around. Kids don't care about turning no program around no more. That, that is not a career. You're going to be there for, for three or four years. What is there to turn around? You're going to go be there three or four years. Kids don't care about that. Let's be honest. Yeah, I want to go to the NFL and turn my team around because that can be, I'm getting money to do that. I'm getting paid to do that. And that can benefit me in the long run with, with contracts and make a career out of it and make my life great. It's a benefit for me turning the NFL program around. Not much of a benefit for me turning a college uh, program around. What can you sell me if you're my if, if you're Miami and Florida State right now when Florida State losing to Boise State, barely beating Louisiana Monroe, 
there used to be a time Louisiana Monroe would be lucky, would be lucky to get three points against Florida State, and would be lucky to hold them under 50. Same thing with Miami. But now Miami and Florida State are in dog fights with these type of teams. They're in dog fights with these type of teams now. So as a top recruit, as a four or five star recruit, what is exciting for me to see that? Like what makes me want to come to your program to struggle against Boise State in, in Louisiana Monroe? When I can go to Alabama and I'm in the final four every year. I'm either playing Georgia or Clemson or Notre Dame or someone like that, Oklahoma. I'm either doing, you know, playing those teams in the spotlight. I'm, I'm my my talents are on display um, every year for all four years or three years that I'm there. I mean, I, I don't think it's a question. It, it, I don't think it's nothing. I mean, you may have you may have you know one or two of the go, those guys that you know don't want to leave their family, want to stay close to their family. So I'm from Miami, I'm gonna stay home. My family, my family can come to those games. You know, you may have some a couple of those guys, but a lot of those guys, okay, my family just have to travel because I want to win and I want to get this money. My family understand. You can watch me on TV or you you, you can come. But guess what? If you don't come and I, and, I, and I go to Oklahoma, they go see me on TV, and I'm gonna get I'm I'm gonna be a first round draft pick. I'm gonna get paid and I'm gonna take care of y'all. Rather than okay, I'm gonna stay home. But we gonna suck. We gonna be uh, um, uh, six and five. You gonna be six and five going to the um, Dollar Dollar General Bowl and. Um, you know, I'd be a fourth round draft pick, fifth round draft pick. You know, fighting to make the roster. The guys at the big programs, besides Florida, uh, the guys at the big programs, Oklahoma, Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, Notre Dame, Ohio State, Michigan, those guys. They are winning. Although Michigan underachieved with Jim Harbaugh. You know, that's a different story. But those programs are winning. And they are developing players to be first-round draft picks in the NFL. I don't, you know, I think Michigan is highly overrated. I think Jim Harbaugh is overrated as a college coach. Uh, he's getting paid too much. I think he need to be gone after this year because I don't think he's going to beat Ohio State. Uh, he probably won't beat Wisconsin. Um, and he's brought there to win those big games. And he, has, he hasn't won them yet. But with that being said, he still puts players in the NFL. He still develops players. Um, Rashawn Gary, I thought he was overrated too, but he's a talented guy. Uh, Maurice Hurst was a first-round prospect. He dropped because of a heart condition. Dropped to the Raiders. Um, uh, Devin Bush. First round draft pick. Um, then you have guys like Frank Clark, who's also out of Michigan. 
Malik McDowell, Taco Charlton is a starter for the Cowboys right now. You have these guys that's, you know, constantly, um, you know, getting drafted in the first round and also winning. But you got, you know, like I said, right now, this, Miami and Florida State are not even second. The second best team, neither one of them are the second best team in the state of Florida right now. They're not, they're not even the second most relevant team in the state of Florida. That belongs to Central Florida. Central Florida, think about that. Central Florida right now is four or five steps ahead of Miami and Florida State. Their light years better than Miami and Florida State. If you ever asked me that, then I think I would, I would be living to see that day. I would have told you, hell no. But that day is here that Central Florida are going to steal recruits and it's better than Miami and Florida State. What has happened to the state of Florida football in college? What has happened? When the Georgia Bulldogs are coming stealing the players right out of our backyard. I'm talking about you go, go to the back door and open it. You can scream. You can yell their name. They right there. But then... Georgia come from all the way, um, you know, two cities over and come and get our people and take them back to Athens. Same thing with Ohio State and Urban Meyer and, Alan, and Nick Saban and Fimona. It used to be a time where, where, where people get, well, well, Florida State and Miami. I think it's best to, you know, get players in. Sometimes, you know, and I say build your system around what those players are great at and make them, you know, and let and let them loose. And let them loose. That's what was good at Miami. We ran that 4-3 defense. Our defensive line wasn't that big, especially our tackles. Vince Wilford is probably uh, the only defensive tackle I can remember that was a legit 345-pound defensive tackle that played at Miami. Because we usually don't have those those big run cloggers. We usually don't have that. But, I mean, he wasn't that. He was actually quick. He, he don't look like he was, but he was actually quick. But we had those fast, you know, smaller, faster linemen, smaller, fast linebackers, 230, 235. Yeah, that's about the biggest we got that can run. Great man cover corners and athletic freak of nature type safeties. We always had that. And we let them loose. We let them loose. Go out there and play. You got that man, you got that man, go play. Orange Tide came in and started running a 3-4 defense, making people who played with their hand in dirt all their life stand up. It just got it's got to be a mess. And I and our defense suffered because of that. And I think, you know, it's identity crisis. Florida State's going through the same thing. If you look at Alabama, I'm just using Alabama for example. Um, Alabama is, they go out and they get, you know, those big, those big hauls as far as offensive linemen. They get the big, the, 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 you know, the bigger Faster wide receivers. You don't see Alabama get wide receivers this 5'9", 5'10". They get the bigger guys. 
I mean, Mario Cooper, he was 6'1. 6'1, maybe, you know, 210. Julio Jones, 6'3, 215, 220. Uh, Ridley, I think he was he was around 6'1, 6'2, 205. Judy, I think he he might be, he looked like he might be 6'3 also. That's what they got. Those, those, you know, big, thicker running backs. Um, Ingram, uh, Trent Richardson, um, Derrick Henry, uh, Eddie Lacy. You keep going. Uh, Josh Jacobs, Damian Harris, Najee Harris. Uh, you can you can go on all day. Those those are guys. You know, thicker running backs. Uh, you go on defense, they get those, you know, those big linemen that they got size to them, and they play their three-four. The Jonathan Allen's, Dayron Payne's, Quentin Williams, um, you know, those kind of type of guys, you know, bigger guys. They have the big middle linebacker, the Dante High Towers, um, the Rolando McLean's. Um, the uh, Rashawn Evans, Alabama, they are who they are. But guess what? They're gonna play to what their players do best. They have a system, but they bring those players in, let them do what they do best, let those players do what they do well, and they're gonna play their game, and they're gonna play better than anybody in the country. Clemson does the same thing. Their defense. Smaller guys that can run. Uh, even if you have big guys, they got to be able to move. I like Dexter Lawrence. Linebackers are smaller, they can run. Cornerbacks are great, great man-to-man guys. Speed, linebacker speed. Offense, athletic, speed. Clemson do what they do. That's who they are. And they do it better than anybody in the country. Better than anybody in the country. And they're successful doing that. There's no identity crisis. There's no identity crisis. Clemson know who they are. They know what they do best. They know what their players do best. And they put them in the position to do that. And they win national championships. Alabama win national championships. Ohio State, they have success also. I mean, they don't win national championships as far as know most of it because of they playing the teams like Clemson in Alabama but for one of those teams Ohio State be right there at the top of the mountain also they're still at the top of the mountain somewhat but just not getting the multiple championships there is no identity crisis with Alabama and Clemson or Georgia but Miami and Florida State and Florida for a while Florida is starting to come back up now but Florida was in this position for a while also. They all they also they kept a great defense. They did that, but offensively they was in an identity crisis. And Florida State and Miami, they're in identity crisis on both sides of the ball. So I don't know what's going on with Florida football, but we have to bring it back up, man, because um, right now is college football is becoming pretty much a you have pretty much six programs. Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, 
Ohio State, Notre Dame. Who am I missing out of that? That's consistently there. Oklahoma. I'm going to say Oklahoma. I say that's the top six. Um, those those guys have been in the there where I say they're at. Top six. They have been there for a while. There really has been no parity. Those guys have been at the top. Seems like every year now for a while. And hasn't moved. Now they may switch places every now and then. But they're usually all right there in that same bubble. Because they know what they're doing. They know who they are, and they bring in players to fit that, and that's how it is, and they win. And they win. I think recruiting is also knowing who to bring in. Yeah, this guy may be a five-star, but does he fit with the rest of our players? Like, will he come here and be that same great player he was then? He's a five-star in high school. He's not a five-star in college. So would that five-star come in and be a five-star in college? Would that five-star that was at uh, um, Madison High School be be a five-star here at Florida State of Miami? Will he fit in what we're doing? Will he be a can, will he be a great player for us? Can we um, elevate his game when he get here? If not, leave him where he's at and get somebody who can fit. Maybe that three-star. Or be a three-star in high school, but come to your program and be a five-star because he fits. You know you can put him in a position to be successful. You know you're playing a a 4-3 defense, and he's better with his hand in the dirt. And he's a three-star, but that five-star is a is a better at being a, a three-four defensive end. Why are, we, why are you gonna bring him in and put him at four-three defensive end? I mean, I think that goes hand in hand with having having an identity crisis. The, the programs that's good right now in college football, they don't have that. That's why they're successful. So that's all I got to say about the state of Florida and yeah, the state of Florida football, that is. That's all I got to say about that. Um, but for Miami Hurricane fans and Miami Hurricane people, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but for the next couple of years, I don't see it getting any better because we're not going to get the recruits we're used to getting. We're not going to get those players that we're used to getting. And I, and I don't think our coaching staff is strong enough to at, at this moment or good enough at this moment to turn two stars um, or three stars into great college athletes. I, I don't think we have that coaching staff at the moment. Well, I'm not sure that that coaching staff can do that at the moment. So, I think it's going to be a while. But that's all I have to say about that. When I come back, I will get into Minka Fitzpatrick and the Odell Beckham versus Greg Williams situation. So, I will be back after this short break. Welcome back to the Country Smoke Podcast. And before I get into the Minka Fitzpatrick and Odell Beckham versus Greg Williams uh, conversation, um, 
I want to recap the Thursday night football game last night between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Carolina Panthers. And uh, after this game made me realize I probably can do without Thursday night football. Um, um, it seems like it's always at least one or two game delays every year. It kind of takes the steam and the anticipation out of the game when it, when there's a weather delay. Um especially two teams who probably is not going to play good football anyway, especially offensively. Um, but um, James, after coming off a coming off of a horrible game against the 49ers, um, he played okay. He played decent, I guess. Um, average, I guess. I don't know. He played okay. He made some very good throws. Um, but other than that, he played okay. Um, got a, got good help from his run game with um, Peyton Barber at 23 attempts for 82 yards and a touchdown. I think it's safe to say that Ronald Jones' situation is pr- pretty much done. I don't think I thought he maybe could be the feature back this year, but that's not going to happen. Uh, Chris Chris Godwin had eight receptions, 121 yards and a touchdown. Mike Evans added in four catches for 61 yards. And again, Tampa Bay won this game 20 to 14. Um, for the Panthers, Cam Newton he struggled. Um, he was 25 for 51, 333 yards, no touchdowns, no intercept, no interceptions. Uh, Christian McCaffrey, uh, they shut him down. 16 attempts, 37 yards. Uh, Greg Olsen was the high man in receptions with um, six for six catches for 110 yards. Curtis Samuels, five catches for 91 yards. DJ Moore, nine catches for 89 yards. Uh, Christian McCaffrey only had two catches for 16 yards. So, um, Christian McCaffrey, 17 touches. Um, no, was it 18? Yeah, 18 touches for only 53 yards. Um, and Cam Newton's not playing very well. I don't. I don't really know what's going on with Cam Newton. Uh, Newton. Um, I don't know if he's hurt or he is just off. But it seems like to me, Superman has lost his superpowers. That the cape is gone. I, I don't know what's going on. Um, if you think about, you know, the retirement of Andrew Luck and, um, you know, Andrew Luck retiring because he's got tired of rehabbing every offseason and, you know, baddest beat up. I, I'm not, you know, speculating, but I don't, I'm not sure Cam is not going through something similar. He's always rehabbing. If you think about it, this is his second year in this offense. Um. This could have been, you know, a great time for the offseason for him to work with his receivers and um, get more acquainted with the offense, get acquainted with his weapons, and everybody get on the same page within that offense. And Cam couldn't do that because he was injured. He was rehabbing his shoulder. I mean, he just, you know, had shoulder surgery. So he couldn't do that. He couldn't get that timing down with his receivers. Um, didn't play too much in the preseason. When he did try to play, he got injured. 
So not a lot of continuity and the offense look like um look like they don't have a lot of continuity. Um it Cam Newton looks I mean very inaccurate right now. He missed all kind of throws last night. He missed some badly. It was one throw where he threw to it was in the red zone. He threw to um Greg Olson. And Joe Buck was, you know, you know, he was like, well, maybe you no, know, I think it was still at the line of scrimmage. Again, unless Shaquille O'Neal was playing uh defensive tackle, couldn't nobody tilt that pass at the line of scrimmage. It, it looked so bad that it just, I mean, I guess Joe Buck was trying to find an excuse of why it looked so bad, but there wasn't any excuse. Cam Doom looks off. He looks off, man. Inaccurate. Um, and I think he, at this point, he should, you know, just, you know, late in his career. Um, not saying it's the end. You know, it could be, but I don't know. I'm not saying it's the end, but at this point of his career, it's a better term. You know, he should be able to change speeds on his ball. Cam throws nothing but fastballs. Fastball, fastball, fastball. And you're not very accurate. So I think, you know, throwing a ball as if it's not going to be very accurate and it's catchable as far as the speed, I think you have some plays work out for you. Like one play, Curtis Samuel was coming on the inside and if he if Cam Newton hits Curtis Samuel in stride, it's a first down easily, but he probably picks up another, you know, maybe another eight, nine, ten yards after the catch. And with the way defenses tackle, defensive players tackle nowadays, it could have been a touchdown because they probably would have missed the tackle. And Curtis Samuel can fly. Um, but he throws it behind him. But it's so it gets there so fast, Curtis Samuel tries to adjust, and he drops it. I mean, still should have been caught, but I really can't blame him too much because Cam Newton don't throw nothing but fastballs. So, um, I was telling my... Uh, my um my my friend JQ, um my co-host on my other podcast, I was telling him, you know, Cam Newton right now he he, he is Roger Clemens or and, and, and Randy Johnson. He don't want to throw nothing but but 99 hundred yard fastballs. So it'd be more like Pedro Martinez. Take some velocity off and and, and, and and give me, you know, change the ball speed. Give me a changeup. Give me a splitter. But good God, I'm out of Don't I'll, <laughs> like I said. I don't know. And then you know the controversy at the end of the game, fourth and half a yard. I just knew. I don't seen Cam play so many times. I just knew like, okay, what's the next play they're gonna call after this? Because this is the first down. So I thought he was gonna get in there, get up on the center. At 6'6", 250, 255, and sneak it. Probably would have put a uh, a eligible offensive line or a defensive tackle or something behind him. So when he goes up to sneak it, they come in and, and help push him forward just in case the defense uh, defensive line surge. Okay, he got the first down. So what's next after that? And lo and behold, I see him go from up under center and almost like he's going to split out. Kishan McCaffrey get the ball runs to the short side of the field where there is more Buccaneers than blockers. 
he has maybe one blocker, but it's three Buccaneer defenders, three or four Buccaneer defenders. It's four defenders, but three of them are unblocked. I know it's on a half a yard, but this is the NFL, man. You already starting off four yards behind the line of scrimmage. So you think you're going to make up half a yard before defenders make up? Excuse me, you think you're going to make up four and a half, five and a half yards before the defenders make up their half a yard? They're going to get to the sticks before you. And Christian McCaffrey, last time I checked, he is not Jerome Bettis or Marshawn Lynch or Mike Allstadt or uh, um, uh, Garrett Blunt or none of these guys. He is not no powerhouse. Uh, I know a lot of people give Noah Turner credit for being a great offensive man. <laughs> Let's be honest. People are living in the Emmitt Smith, Troy Aikman, and Michael Irvin days. They're living in the past. They're living in the past. He might be a good man, but he hasn't. I, I, I can't give him that credit and give him that pass like he has been anything like that recently. You didn't work out in Minnesota. I think you went to Minnesota. Didn't work out in Minnesota. Um, of course, he was the head coach in Oakland. That didn't work out, but I'm not blaming him for that because pretty much nobody worked out um, and worked out so far as far as you know back then. Um, in Los Angeles, he had a good offense with the Chargers. Although I think Philip Rivers is overrated, although I think um, you know Chargers have good offenses, but when have they not had a when have the Chargers not had a good offense? Even though I think the Philip Rivers is overrated, wildly overrated, I think the Chargers have had a good offense since I remember him being there. It's just not good when it really need to be. It's just not as effective when it, you know, in crunch time, a lot of times. But he has had a good offense as far as putting up numbers. And at that time, I mean, does it take a genius to know that you need to get the ball in Antonio Gates' hands, who at the time probably was the best tight end in, in the NFL? I don't remember exactly if LaDainian Thompson still there, but LaDainian Thompson, the best running back of this generation, does it take a... Genius to know to get the ball in his hands. That don't make you a great offensive man because you did that. You can get anybody off the street that know football and they know to put the ball in Antonio Gates' hands and LaDainian Thompson's hands. So, um, it was a bad play call, bad play design, if you ask me. Um, if you're going for, you know, a touchdown or something on third and goal, I don't mind that play call. But fourth and fourth and inches, you only have to get half a yard. Half a yard. If that I only think it was half a yard, but you only have to get half a yard. And you got Cam Newton, the best, he's the best at getting that help, getting that yard or whatever. And you only I mean you don't even give it to him in that situation to get you the first down and extend the game. That tells me two things. Cam Newton is hurt or y'all are having an identity crisis on offense like I was talking about earlier with the with Miami and Florida State so I don't know if he's hurt it's, it's something going on with Cam Newton because this is not uh, this is not it people forget this man was the MVP just a few years ago he was in the Super Bowl just a few years ago a few seasons ago and 
He, he looks like a totally different player. He looks totally different from what he was to start last year. Last year, he was, he was a lot better than this. To start uh, the season last year, the first eight games. So, the Panthers are in trouble if this is what they're going to, you know, this is the effort they're going to put on the field every Sunday or whenever they play Thursday, Monday, whatever. Every week, if this is what they are going to put on the field, this is the type of uh, production they're going to display, they're going to be in trouble. In that division, you really can't afford to fall 0-2. But, I mean, I don't think Tampa Bay is going to run away from you, so... It's not going to be a threat. He still has James at quarterback. Um, but for Carolina, this was a bad loss. You can't afford this. Um, they have to. They have to do something. Do some soul searching or something. Figure out what's going on. Cam Newton, if you hurt, it can't be effective. You need to do what you got to do. Step aside and let somebody else that maybe let Weirger get in. Um, who maybe can at least, you know, give his all on the football field. Because if you can't give it your all, man, you're not helping the team. So, I think that was an ugly game last night, for especially for the Panthers. Tampa Bay, you know, they gritted it out. Carolina does have a very good defense. So, I'm not going to harp on too much of what Tampa Bay did or didn't do. But Carolina, uh, well, congratulations to Tampa Bay. But Carolina, you got a lot, you got a lot to, to, to look at, man. Because, because that was that was ugly football on Panthers behalf, and especially Cam Newton. Especially Cam Newton. Some of these throws he made, man, I, you could you could have put probably a fullback better to make some of those throws, and he missed them. So there's something going on. Whether it's he's hurt or he just beat up, or you know he's not himself no more. But something's going on, and the Panthers better figure it out before. The season get away from them. So, um, that's all I got to say about that. When we come back, I will finally get into the Minka Fitzpatrick and the Odell Beckham versus Greg Williams discussion. So, I will be back after this short break. Welcome back to the Country Smoke Podcast. And before I get into the Minka Fitzpatrick and Odell Beckham versus Greg Williams uh, conversation, um, I want to recap the Thursday night football game last night between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Carolina Panthers. And uh, after this game made me realize I probably can do without Thursday night football. Um, um it seems like it's always at least one or two game delays every year. It kind of takes the steam and the anticipation out of the game when it, when there's a weather delay. Um, especially two teams who probably is not going to play good football anyway, especially offensively. Um, but um, James, after coming off a coming off of a horrible game against the 49ers. Um, he played okay. He played decent, I guess. Um, average, I guess. I don't know. He played okay. He made some very good throws. Um, but other than that, he played okay. Um, got a, got good help from his run game with um, 
Peyton Barber at 23 attempts for 82 yards and a touchdown. I think it's safe to say that Ronald Jones' situation is pretty much done. I don't think I thought he maybe could be the feature back this year, but that's not going to happen. Uh, Chris Chris Godwin had eight receptions, 121 yards, and a touchdown. Mike Evans added in four catches for 61 yards. And again, Tampa Bay won this game 20 to 14. Um, for the Panthers. Cam Newton, he struggled. Um, he was 25 for 51, 333 yards, no touchdowns, no, intercept, no interceptions. Uh, Christian McCaffrey, uh, they shut him down. 16 attempts, 37 yards. Uh, Greg Olsen was the high man in receptions with um, six, for, six catches for 110 yards. Curtis Samuels. Five catches for 91 yards. DJ Moore, nine catches for 89 yards. Uh, Christian McCaffrey only had two catches for 16 yards. So, um, Christian McCaffrey, 17 touches. Um, No, was it 18? Yeah, 18 touches for only 53 yards. Um, And Cam Newton's not playing very well. I don't don't really know what's going on with Cam Newton, uh, Newton. Um, I don't know if he's hurt or he is just off. But it seems like to me Superman has lost his superpowers. That the cape is gone. I, I don't know what's going on. Um, if you think about you know the retirement of Andrew Luck and um, you know Andrew Luck retiring because he's got tired of rehabbing every off season and you know bodies beat up. I'm not, you know, speculating, but I'm not sure Cam is not going through something similar. He's always rehabbing. If you think about it, this is his second year in this offense. Um, this could have been, you know, a great time for the offseason for him to work with his receivers and um, get more acquainted with the offense, get acquainted with his weapons, and everybody get on the same page within that offense. And Cam couldn't do that because... He was injured. He was rehabbing his shoulder. I mean, he just, you know, had shoulder surgery. So he couldn't do that. He couldn't get that timing down with, with his receivers. Um, didn't play too much in the preseason. When he did try to play, he got injured. So not a lot of continuity. And the offense looked like um, looked like they don't have a lot of continuity. Um, it... Cam Newton looks, I mean, very inaccurate right now. He missed all kind of throws last night. He missed some badly. It was one throw where he threw to, it was in the red zone, he threw to um, Greg Olson. And Joe Buck was, you know, you know, he was like, well, maybe, you know, I think it was still at the line of scrimmage. Again, unless Shaquille O'Neal was playing uh, defensive tackle, couldn't nobody tilt that pass at the line of scrimmage. It, it looked so bad that it just, I mean, I guess Joe Bolt was trying to find an excuse why it looked so bad, but there wasn't any excuse. Cam Newton looks off. He looks off, man. Inaccurate. Um, and I think he's, 
at this point, he should, you know, just, you know, late in his career. Uh, I'm not saying it's the end. You know, it could be, but I don't know. I'm not saying it's the end, but at this point of his career, it's a better term. You know, he should be able to change speeds on his ball. Cam throws nothing but fastballs. Fastball, fastball, fastball. And you're not very accurate, so I think, you know, throwing a ball, if it's not going to be very accurate and it's catchable as far as the speed, I think you have some plays work out for you. Like, one play, Curtis Samuel was coming on the inside, and if he if Cam Newton hits Curtis Samuel in stride, it's a first down easily, but he probably picks up another, you know, maybe another 8, 9, 10 yards after the catch. And with the way defenses tackle, defensive players tackle nowadays, it could have been a touchdown because they probably would have missed the tackle. And Curtis Samuel can fly. Um, but he throws it behind him. But it's so it gets there so fast, Curtis Samuel tries to adjust, and he drops it. I mean, still should have been caught, but I really can't blame him too much because Cam Newton don't throw nothing but fastballs. So, um, I was telling my, uh, my, um, my, my friend JQ, um, my co-host on my other podcast, I was telling him, you know, Cam Newton right now, he, he, he is Roger Clemens and, and, and Randy Johnson. He don't want to throw nothing but, but 99, hundred yard fastballs. So it'd be more like Pedro Martinez. Take some velocity off and, 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 and give me, you know, change the ball speed. Give me a change up. Give me a splitter. But good God, I'm out of Don't, I, like I said, I don't know. And then, you know, the controversy at the end of the game, fourth and half a yard. I just knew. I don't seen Cam play so many times. I just knew, like, okay, what's the next play they're going to call after this because this is the first down. So I thought he was going to get in there, get up on the center at 6'6", 250, 255, and sneak it. Probably would have put a, uh, a eligible offensive line or a defensive tackle or something behind him. So when he goes up to sneak it, they come in and, and help push him forward just in case the defense, uh, defensive line surge. Okay, he got the first down. So what's next after that? And lo and behold, I see him go from up on the center and almost like he's going to split out. Kishan McCaffrey get the ball, runs to the short side of the field where there is more Buccaneers than blockers. He has maybe one blocker, but it's three Buccaneer defenders, three or four Buccaneer defenders. It's four defenders, but three of them are unblocked. I know it's on a half a yard, but this is the NFL, man. You already starting off four yards behind the line of scrimmage. So you think you're going to make up half a yard before defenders make up? Now, excuse me, you think you're going to make up four and a half, five and a half yards before the defenders make up their half a yard? They're going to get to the sticks before you. And Christian McCaffrey, last time I checked, he is not Jerome Bettis or Marshawn Lynch or Mike Allstadt or uh, um, uh, Garrett Blunt or none of these guys. He is not no powerhouse. Uh, I know a lot of people give Noah Turner credit for being a great offensive man. <laughs> Let's be honest. People are living in the Emmitt Smith, Troy Aikman, and Michael Irvin days. They're living in the past. They're living in the past. He might be a good man, but he hasn't. 
I, I can't give him that credit and give him that pass like he has been anything like that recently. It didn't work out in Minnesota. I think he went to Minnesota. It didn't work out in Minnesota. Um, of course, he was the head coach in Oakland. That didn't work out, but I'm not blaming him for that because pretty much nobody worked out. Um, it worked out so far as far as, you know, back then. Um, in Los Angeles, he had a good offense with the Chargers. Although I think Philip Rivers is overrated, although I think, um, you know, Chargers have good offenses, but when have they not had a when have the Chargers not had a good offense? But even though I think the Philip Rivers is overrated, wildly overrated, I think the Chargers have had a good offense since I remember him being there. It's just not good when it really need to be. It's just not as effective when it, you know, in crunch time, a lot of times, but he has had a good offense as far as putting up numbers. And at that time, I mean, does it take a genius to, to know that you need to get the ball in Antonio Gates' hands? who at the time probably was the best tight end in, in the NFL. I don't remember exactly if LaDainian Thomason was still there, but LaDainian Thomason, the best running back of this generation, does it take a genius to know to get the ball in his hands? That don't make you a great offensive man because you did that. You can get anybody off the street that know football, they know to put the ball in Antonio Gates' hands and LaDainian Thomason's hands. So, um, it was a bad play call, bad play design, if you ask me. Um, if you're going for, you know, a touchdown or something on third and goal, I don't mind that play call. But fourth and, fourth and inches, you only have to get half a yard. Half a yard. If that, I only think it was half a yard, but you only have to get half a yard. And you got Cam Newton, the best He's the best at getting that help, getting that yard or whatever. And you only, I mean, you don't even give it to him in that situation to get you the first down and extend the game. That tells me two things. Cam Newton is hurt or y'all are having an identity crisis on offense. Like I was talking about earlier with the with Miami and Florida State. So I don't know if he's hurt. It's, it's something going on with Cam Newton because this is not uh, this is not it. People forget this man was the MVP just a few years ago. Was in the Super Bowl just a few years ago, a few seasons ago, and he, he looks like a totally different player. He looks totally different from what he was to start last year. Last year he was he was a lot better than this to start uh, the season last year. The first eight games. So the Panthers are in trouble if this is what they're going to, you know, this is the effort they're going to put on the field every Sunday or whenever they play Thursday, Monday, whatever. Every week, if this is what they are going to put on the field, this is the type of uh, production they're going to display, they're going to be in trouble. In that division, you really can't afford to fall 0-2. But, I mean, I don't think Tom Bay is going to run away from you, so... It's not going to be a threat. He still has James at quarterback. Um, but for Carolina, this was a bad loss. You can't afford this. Um, they have to. They have to do something. Do some soul searching or something. Figure out what's going on. Cam Newton, if you hurt and can't be effective, you need to do what you got to do. Step aside and let somebody else 
that maybe let Will Greer get in, um, who maybe can at least, you know, give his all on the football field. Because if you can't give it your all, man, you're not helping the team. So, I think that was an ugly game last night, for especially for the Panthers. Tampa Bay, you know, they gritted it out. Carolina does have a very good defense, so I'm not going to harp on too much of what Tampa Bay did or didn't do. But Carolina, uh, well, congratulations to Tampa Bay. But Carolina, you got a lot, you got a lot to, to, to look at, man. Because, because that was that was ugly football on Panthers behalf, and especially Cam Newton. Especially Cam Newton. Some of these throws he made, man, I, you, could, you could have put probably a fullback better to make some of those throws, and he missed them. So there's something going on, whether it's he's hurt or he just beat up or you know he's not himself no more, but something's going on, and the Panthers better figure it out before the season get away from them. So, uh, that's all I got to say about that. When we come back, I will finally get into the Minka Fitzpatrick and the Odell Beckham versus Greg Williams discussion. So, I will be back after this short break. Welcome back to the Country Smoke Podcast. I'm going to get into the Minka Fitzpatrick situation. Um, Ian Rappaport and a few other sources have come out and said that Minka Fitzpatrick has been given permission by the Dolphins to seek a trade. They are not actively seeking a trade, but they have given him permission to seek a trade. Um... And it's reports that he is unhappy about how he is being used. He is great at uh, being a you know a slot corner, uh, free safety, strong safety, and the Dolphins are using him as such. But he only wants to be used as a slot cornerback, so he is unhappy with his usage. Um, and there has there has been a lot of. Oakland Raider fans, my Raider Nation fans, we are a trip, but there have been a lot of us who, you know, is clamoring. We got two first-round draft picks. Go go get them. Go get them. He's young, second year. Uh, Card Joseph is on his last year of the contract. Blase, blase. Go get him. And I'm going to say pump the brakes on that, and I'm going to tell you why. Okay, first, the things that catch me right off guard is he's in his second year. Only did one year in the NFL. He's in his second year. Now, I think a lot of this, him wanting to be traded, also has a lot to do with Miami's in a rebuild. I mean, that's clear. That's clear as day. They're bad. They lost by 49 Sunday. Uh, and he may not want to be a part of that. As a, If, if that's a 10-year vet, um, I have no problem with him wanting to seek a trade. 10, 12, you're vet, you, you don't play, you're ready to win. You're not trying to be there for a rebuild. Minka Fitzpatrick, no, the, the Dolphins wasn't good when he got drafted there, first of all. To me, it sends a bad message if you're a young guy and you want to rebuild. You know, things get tough because, let's be real, as an Oakland Raider fan, our Oakland Raiders, it has been mostly tough for us lately. For the last 17 years, it has been mostly tough. 
we had one good year. Very, we had one great year. Well, good year because we didn't win the Super Bowl, so I'm gonna say good year. And we had two mediocre years after, you know, besides that because we were eight and eight. I'm gonna say three because that seven and nine year we was pretty much. I think we were a. We could have been easily nine and seven, ten and six, but I'm gonna say one good year and three mediocre years. So. Um, we are a we are in a rebuild also, sort of a rebuild, but we just further ahead than the Miami Dolphins. When things get tough in Oakland, if things get tough in Oakland, you're gonna want to leave there too. So let's say your argument is, or someone's argument is, well, know that he don't like how they're using him. Think about this. I'm a coach. I have this young guy who is very versatile. In today's NFL. That's the most important thing to be in today's NFL with how the rules are changed for the passing game and how the pass how the game is uh, played. The game is more spread out. Versatility is very key. So if I'm the if I'm a defensive coach and he's versatile and he can play safety, free safety, strong safety, corner, slot corner, want to be smart to use him in all positions. If he can do that, that would be the smart thing to do, right? That's be that's what's best for the team at that. And he only wants to play slot cornerback. He's thinking about him. He's thinking about himself. Raider Nation, I don't know about y'all, but I'm tired of players that think about themselves. We just had a guy like that. He didn't play a snap for us in, in a meaningful game. Well, or in the preseason game at that. Only had about five, six practices with us, but we just got rid of one. That only thought about himself. Okay. To put that in better context, LaMarcus Joyner. LaMarcus Joyner has came out and stated that he prefers to play nickel cornerback. That's what he prefers to play at. That's what he prefers to stay at. That's what he feel like he's great at. Okay. Last year at the Rams, LaMarcus Joyner played free safety. Before Wade Phillips got there, he played a lot of slot cornerbacks. So Wade Phillips came and said, we think his best interest of the team if you play free safety for us. Although he wasn't, a, he know, he was against it. He, he would have rather played slot cornerback. He came out, he, he said that. He, he wasn't, you know, um, surely he wasn't happy about getting more to free safety, but he can play that position. Uh, you know, you know, it was best for the team. He didn't ask for a trade. He didn't ask out. He did what was best for the team. What his coaches asked him to do. It's, I mean, same thing. He, he, you know, he preferred to play slot corner, but he played free safety because it was best for the team. And he played. He gave it his all. Played great. You know, enjoyed it. But he preferred, you know, to play slot cornerback. But he didn't ask for a trade. He didn't pout. And this is a guy who is more established, who was more established last year than Minka Fitzpatrick. He's been in the league a few years. Minka Fitzpatrick has played a season and one game. When you get to Oakland, what do you think we're going to ask him to do? You think we're going to say, just play slot cornerback? No, Marcus Jones is our slot. So that's what he want to play at. He's going he's gonna to fill in for Abram. He's going to play safety if he comes to Oakland. He may go out and have to play corner on on some instances. 
in Paul Gunther's defense, everybody is versatile. You have to be versatile. Cleveland Ferry, number four overall pick. Where do you see him line up mostly Monday night? I think he had more snaps on the inside as a, as a three technique than he did defensive end. But he's versatile, so Paul Gunther used him in more ways than one. Card Joseph and Jonathan Abram. Card Joseph played strong safety, and sometimes he played deep safety, as you know, or free safety. Same thing with Jonathan Abram. When he, he hit Deshaun Hamilton out of bounds and hurt his shoulder on that play, he was a strong safety in the cover too. And he also played deep safety while Card Joseph was in the box playing the run. So, Raider Nation, I want you to see this, that if he plays, if he comes to Oakland, he is going to be asked to do multiple things. He is not going to just be a slot cornerback. The slot is LaMarcus Joyner. So, that's how I feel about that. I'm not, I, I look at it different than Raider Nation. They see a guy, talented, oh, let's go get him. But I see a guy who... Is wants to quit on his team because things are not going his way. And a guy who only his second year, I'm not feeling that. I'm not feeling that at all. I don't like the I don't like what he's portraying himself as of right now. I don't like the vibe he's sending off. I mean, to me, you just you're quitting on your team, you don't want to be there. So that's how I feel about it. I think we can do without him. Um I think, you know, we bring in, go to in the free agency pool and get uh, George Ioka or uh, people say Eric Berry, but Eric Berry hasn't played in over a year. He's not going to be in football shape. He don't know the defense. I think that'll be, before he's able to be very effective, that'll take too long. George Ioka can come in and step in right away because he played in his defense his whole career. So, well, if it was me, if it was me I was going after uh, George Ioka and call it a day. Now the Odell Beckham and Greg Williams situation. Odell Beckham came out and said in the preseason game, I think in 2017, a couple years ago, uh, as with Greg Williams as a member of the Browns, um, the defensive coordinator of the Browns. Odell says players who are there now told them that told him that Greg Williams told them to take him out of the game. And in that game, they did, you know, one of the players did kind of hit Odell Beckham too low for my liking. Um, he did go low in the striking in his leg area. I think Odell sprung his ankle or something on that play, hurt his ankle. Uh, he didn't miss a lot of time, but he just nicked up his ankle. Um, I think the guy did go too low where he could have hit Odell a, lot, a little higher. But that doesn't mean I'm saying that I agree with Odell that Greg Williams told his player to do that. I don't buy that. Um, I don't not say I'm not saying it's not true, but I'm definitely not saying it's true neither. But what I'm saying is um, Odell. How do I put this? Uh, first of all, let me say this about Greg Williams. Now, I want me a defensive coordinator who tells us to go out there and punch somebody in the mouth. Not literally, but you know, it's football. If you play football, you love football, you know the football terms. Punch somebody in the mouth. Knock his freaking head off. 
take them out. You know, that's all football terms we use. Don't mean any malice by it as far as injuring somebody, messing up their knee or, you know, messing up their career. Of course, we're not trying to do that. But you want, if I'm a coordinator, I want to beat my opponent into submission. I'm trying to take your head off. I want to, to hit you and hit you and hit you until you quit. You don't want to come back in the game. Or I scare you and take you off your game. You run around and it's wide open, but you feel like I'm coming to hit you, so you short arm it and the pass is incomplete. I did my job if that happens. I done got you out of your game. And I'm pretty sure that's probably what Greg Williams told his players, get him out of the game as far as that sense. I'm not going to say he told him to hurt him. But Odell Beckham is a pretty boy. I'm just going to go out and say it. He's a pretty boy. He is a... Um, he is a, a diva. He is what I would call a, um, I'm trying to think of a, a clean way to say this. Um, oh, that Beckham is soft. I think that's a clean way I can, I can say that. For especially mentally. He's a soft player mentally. It's easy to get in his head. Uh the instances I remember when guys really took him out of his game, Josh Norman. He said Josh Norman called him a um, a homosexual slur, I guess, and kind of took him out of his game. And he, you know, and we all know what happened. He went after Josh Norman and all that stuff. Josh Norman got physical with him and took Odell Beckham out of the game. And you know that instance and also with Xavier Rose was getting very physical with him you know of course he didn't like that um, you know really want to go after Xavier Rose it's easy to get in his head and right now I think Greg Williams is already in his head and I think for him coming out saying that I mean that just shows how I think soft he is mentally I don't want the other team to know that I'm thinking about nothing like that I don't want you to know that I'm thinking about that. And I, I guess you're trying to low-key snitch, trying to make the NFL watch out for Greg Williams, or, you know, I don't know, make it easier for you. But if you're already thinking about that in the press conference, he's already in your head. And as a receiver, you're not supposed to let nobody know that they've gotten in your head before you even get on the field. I can't see I'm going to use old school players, I'm going to use players today. I can't see Steve Smith doing the same thing. Steve Smith played for the Panthers. Not the Giants, Steve Smith. Not that one. One that played for the Panthers. I can't see DeAndre Hopkins doing that. He's a physical receiver. He loves when you get physical with him because he's going to adjust and he's going to make sure he gets you. I can't see Michael Irvin doing that. I can't see Andre Johnson doing that. I can't see the Torrell Owens doing that. Torrey Holt. I don't see those guys letting the opponent know that they're in their head. They're in his head already. I don't see that. But Odell Beckham, he, first of all, he likes attention. I guess this is another way for him to get attention. He loves attention. He loves it. Um... But the thing is, he don't thrive off of it. He don't thrive off of that extra attention from defenses. He don't. All these people say he, he's talented. Don't get me wrong. He's a great talent. But he's nowhere near 
a top three, four receiver in this game. Nowhere near it because of that. Because of it's easy to get in his head and he worry about everything else besides them white line. It's easy to get it's easy to get him off his game. And all this stuff with the watch and everything. First of all, why do you want to wear a watch on the football field? Well, I understand people say, you know, well, people picking on them because people wear necklaces and that's fine. Necklaces is tucked in your shoulder pad. A lot of people don't have it just showing no way. I mean, sometimes it's kind of bulgy, so you may see it, but um, people brought up a Michael Crabtree, got snatched off. Okay, you only see that when you're up on him. It wasn't no big chain to where it's, it's sticking out from uh, up on his shoulder pads. Why do you want to wear a watch on the football field? What you trying to tell time for? Like, what you ready for the game to be over already? Like, what is it? Who wants to wear a watch on the football field? If if it's a, for a promotional reasons, or you know, you it's a you're trying to promote something, you may be getting paid to promote something. Wear it in the post game press conference. But on the football field, come on, man. Come on. I understand, you know, people trying to, you know, get their money and, you know, have business ventures, you know, to take care of them after football. But um, I think the great players focus on their game more than anything on game day. And then, you know, when it's all season, they do their thing. They, they get their money. But, um... Odell is just, like I said, if Sam Darnold was the was gonna play, I probably would give the Jets the edge in that game. But Trevor Simeon's playing, and that's not a, you know that's nothing. That's, I don't think nothing. I don't think anything good is gonna come out of that. So I'm gonna give the edge to the Browns. But I think Greg Williams already has a notch up on Odell Beckham. Because he, he just continues, he continuously show, shows me that he is a mentally soft player. Again, I don't see Steve Smith. I, I see Steve Smith maybe talking about it, but it's gonna be, it's gonna come out totally different. It's not gonna be, well, I know they're gonna try to take me out. I mean, that's what he do. That's the type of player he is. So you know, and I'm look forward to. It. I don't see Steve Smith responding that way. I see Steve Smith saying, um, uh, oh, oh that, that, that's what you want to do? Okay, well, we'll see how that work out for you. Bring it. I see Steve Smith in that light. Steve Smith was a a, a, a linebacker um, slash safety slash defensive end playing wide receiver. He, he Because his, his size and things of that sort, I think mostly his size. I think because of that is why he played wide receiver. Steve Smith had the mentality of a defensive player. And I will always like him for that. I always respect him because not the biggest guy. Probably not. He's not the fastest guy. Not the most athletic guy. But his heart was just like those defensive players that was trying to take him out. And he most of the time he got the best of them. So, um, it's too bad that Odell Beckham is, is, is not like that. 
And the guy who is like that in today's NFL, well, I don't think it's a coincidence that he's the best receiver in, in the NFL in um, DeAndre Hopkins. Now, I had him as 1A to Antonio Brown's 1, but um, Antonio Brown's not on the field right now, so I'm, I'm going to have to go with DeAndre at this moment. But um, it's a reason why he's at the top, because stuff like that don't, okay, you ain't going to get in his head with no stuff like that. So, um, that's all I have on those topics, uh, for us, Mika and Odell. Uh, when I come back, I'm going to get into my country five picks and give you the keys to the games for each team in those five games. So stay tuned. Uh, big country will be back after the short break. Country smoke podcast. We'll be back. Welcome back to the Country Smoke Podcast. And now I'm going to get into my Country 5, which is my five game pitch from um, week two of the NFL season. And I did my Country 5 picks yesterday, but now I'm going to do them. And this time I'm going to give you keys to victory for each team in those five games. So my first game was the Seattle Seahawks at the Pittsburgh Steelers. I actually took the Steelers to win this game, and I think I gave the score yesterday of 24-21. And I took the Steelers because I think they know that they cannot afford to go 0-2. They do have an easy schedule coming up. The schedule is not, you know, very hard, but Steve, you don't want to fall 0-2 because you never know how those other games are going to go. You don't want to fall 0-2. Then the questions come about uh, Antonio Brown, and it seems like the offense miss Antonio Brown, and it seems like Juju is struggling with the extra attention and as the number one receiver. So to keep to avoid those, you really don't want to go 0-2. Um, I think the Steelers are a more talented team than the Seahawks uh, across the board. Um, but I think for for Pittsburgh, they have to get that run game going. Seattle does play a lot of zone. They're mostly a zone team. Um, mostly a zone team. They have, you know, blitzed a little, a little bit lately, more than they usually do. But for the most part, they are a zone team. Um, a lot of cover three, some cover four. You may see every now and then some cover two. Um, they don't have those guys in the back end. Richard Sherman, Cameron, um, Richard Sherman, Cam Chancellor, uh, Earl Thomas. Those guys are gone. Brandon Browner, they're gone. They still have Bobby Wagner and KJ Wright. So you you do have to be careful in the middle of that field. But they don't have those guys. Um, added Jadavian Clowney, who played very well last week against the Bengals. So. I think it's important for the Steelers to use that big offensive line. It's one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. Use the offensive line to get James Conner going in this game. Uh, I don't think he's going to be successful if James Conner has another 10 carries for 21 yards again. That's that, that's not a um, a key to that's not a key to success, or <laughs> that's not a good strategy for success in this game. You want to get him going if you can't pound him with Benny Snell also the big physical back pound him with Benny Snell 
get them going, man. Uh, get those running backs going. And force Seattle to have to play your run with eight people instead of seven. And then you can get things open in that zone for um, Juju Smith-Schuster. Uh, also, you know, ben, Big Ben loves to throw deep. You can get James Washington open. Uh, he's not going to draw the attention that Juju draws or Dante Moncrief. So you never know. He may get that third or fourth guy. And then you go deep with James Washington. But I think also, also to help get that running game going, you have to threaten those linebackers. Get those linebackers to kind of, you know, back up. You don't want them just to start keying on stuff and going straight into the hole because they're great at that. Bobby Wagner is one of the – if not, uh, he's arguably the best middle linebacker. I know it's between him and Luke Keekley, but you don't want him just to key in on your game plan because he, he can wreck it. Um and you don't want KJ, you want KJ Wright to kind of hesitate uh, to just you know go up. So you have to threaten them with Vance McDonald. I think this is that's their second key to that game. Vance McDonald, get him open to, to kind of keep those linebackers a little occupied. And that can open up your run game later in the game to help you close that game out. Because Russell Wilson, he can play terrible three quarters. In the fourth quarter, somehow he starts making those plays and buying time and making off-script plays and getting his team back in the game. So, you want to get that going that way in the fourth quarter when you really need that run game to be at its best, it can be. Um, so, I think those are the two keys for the Steelers. Establish that run game and get Vance McDonald. Um, get him to kind of get those linebackers to respect them. That way, you can get things open down deep in the middle of that zone on in that zone defense. Um for Seattle, kind of the same thing, running game. Now, Russell Wilson doesn't have his usual weapons at his disposal. Uh, I know DK Metcalf made some plays in that game, but um, it's too early to you know say he would be consistently doing that. So, um, and Tyler Lockett only had one catch, and I think it was, it was a big catch, 44 yards. I think it was a 44-yard touchdown, but... Only had one reception last week. Um, that's not, you know, very good for Russell Wilson too. That's not nothing you want to keep going forward with, with your best receiver only having one catch. Um, so I think Chris Carson would be a key in this game. You have to be physical with him. If it don't work, you know, early stick with it. If it doesn't work, stick really, uh, stick with it. He may have his, you know. You may run it, get two yards, run it again, get two, third and six. Uh, you run it, you get two. Second time you run it, you get three, third and five. You want to stay in that category, you know. Uh, just just stick with it. Just stick with the run game. Uh, the Steelers linebackers are going to be aggressive. If you keep sticking with it, you no know Russell Wilson in that pistol formation. With the, um, you know, he do a lot of RPOs, so... Fake the run. Those linebackers bite up, and then guess what? You can hit, you know, your tight end dizzily or um, also hit lock in the middle of the field to get those big plays against that defense. Pittsburgh secondary is not the strongest. Let's say it's, let's just say that they're not the strongest. And get pressure on Big Ben, but keep him inside of the pocket. Keep him in that pocket, get pressure on him. Um, they're going to need more than Jadavion Clowney. 
in this game. Gonna need more than Jadavian Clowney in this game um, to get after the quarterback. So you need somebody else to step up. Somebody has to step up. Um, but I think contain Big Ben, keep him in the pocket. He's gonna want to move around and buy time. Uh, keep him in the pocket. If you force him to step up instead of stepping out, force him to step up and you hold the ball. And that allows you opportunities to get to him, strip the ball, strip sacks, and all, all of those things. But force him to step up. Don't let him step out. If you let him step out, he's going to find somebody downfield. He still can do that. Uh, but force him to step up and hold the ball a little longer. The more Big Ben holds the ball, the better chance you have as a defense to make something happen. The longer he holds the ball, the worse it is for the Steelers' offense. As far as him being inside of the pocket. Uh, if you let him hold the ball and he's outside of the pocket, it's bad for the defense. But if he hold the ball he's inside of the pocket, it's bad for the Steelers' offense usually. Um, Russell Wilson, I think they have to move the pocket with him. They stay, um, stay in the pocket, move the pocket with Russell Wilson. Don't let him just stand in the pocket. Uh, let him run a no bootlegs, things of that sort. Get him outside of the pocket and let him open up that defense. If he does that, that running game is going to open up. And then again, that's where those run pass options come into play. You fake the run with Chris Carson, and then things start opening up in the middle of the field because you're going to have a, an aggressive linebacker, Vince Williams, and, and Devin Bush. Vince Williams is not a cover guy, so he's he's. Great at playing the run. He's an aggressive linebacker, so that's where he will come in. You can dart towards the offensive line, and there you go. A passing lane develop and open up behind him. So if they can get that going and make the Steelers linebackers respect you know, Russ Wilson's ability to move out the pocket and that run game, I think the Seahawks win this game because Russ Wilson will have some you know, great big plays down the field. So that's my keys to victory for that one. My second game was the Minnesota Vikings at the Green Bay Packers. And I had the Vikings winning this game with the score of, I think I gave them a 20 to 17 victory. I think this would be more of a defensive game. Uh, although the Vikings have the weapons to light it up, but in a divisional game, um, Teams know each other well. I don't know. I don't see them lighting the Packers up. The Packers defense is very improved. Um, not so sure about the Vikings offensive line yet. So, like I said, they played the Falcons last week. The Falcons really don't have, besides Grady Jarrett, they don't have many defensive line threats to get to the quarterback. Uh, Tat McKinley still is unsure about him. Vic Beasley, um, at this point, that may be a lost cause. I don't know. But um, Green Bay has a lot more threats than the Falcons had. So this would be a test for the Packers offensive line. Um, keys for the Packers, I think, will be same thing it was last week. Run the football with Dalvin Cook. Get him going. Uh, Kirk Cousins is very good. I have my, my co-host. From the Views Podcast, JQ. He 
for some reason he thinks I love Kirk Cousins because I defend him. I don't defend him as far as him per se. I defend him as far as people has to be fair because they will criticize Kirk Cousins for some things and give other quarterbacks passes on the same thing. Uh, so I just want everybody to be fair with Kirk like they do everybody else. Um, uh, Dak can do some things that Kirk Cousins get criticized for. So that's what I'm, you know. But he is a very good play-action quarterback. When he has that running game going, that's when he, that's where he is most effective. That's when he is most effective and it's, it's when he has his running game really working for him and that play-action pass is working. Um, it's not a quarterback that's just going to drop back and just wank, you know, wing it and, and whoop you with his arm. That's not Kirk Cousins. Um, so, like I said, the key would be that running game with Dalvin Cook. But I think he he's going to have to open up because Green Bay, Green Bay's defense is more stout up front than Atlanta's defense. Atlanta defense is smaller, faster. Green Bay's defense is, you know, more they're bigger and more physical. So um, he's gonna have to get that going, but then also use his weapons downfield. He has Adam Thielen um, and Stefan Diggs. I, uh, I got them in. Woo, I got both of them in, a, in quite a few fancy teams. So of course I'm hoping that you know they step up, but he has to hit them downfield. He has to open it up. And I think Stephen Diggs, he really has to open it up with Stephen Diggs. Uh, really has to open it up with Stephen Diggs. And um, I think keep the chains moving uh, as far as, um, as far as, you know, I think having long sustained drives will um, wear the Packers defense down but at the same time keep the Vikings defense fresh and you want a fresh defense a fresh Vikings defense is gonna um, get Aaron Rodgers fits uh, they have shown that in the past but that's when they're fresh um, so establish that run game if they can protect them like I said keep you know the chains moving so that way third down would be short if you Keep the Vikings offense in manageable third downs. Kirk Cousins does not have to hold the ball that long. And he's better when he's able to get the ball out of his hands quickly. So they get the run game going. Uh, keep it at third and short, third and three, third and two, things like that. He can get the ball out, ball out of his hands quickly. And that will make the Vikings offense very effective and, hard, and harder to defend. For the Packers, um, the key in this game would be pass protection. I think Aaron Jones should get at least if they if Aaron Jones can get at least 20 carries in this game and give at least 80 rushing yards. I think the Packers have a very um, great chance, but they have to give great pass protection and give Aaron Rodgers time to find uh, find people downfield. I think the key in this game would be Jimmy Graham. Why would he be in the key in this game? Because if Jimmy Graham is having a fifth of game, the, that's you know, the Vikings um, the Vikings will have no choice but to leave Harrison Smith from down you know, from down around the line of scrimmage they will have to leave him in the back end and that can open up your run game but I think uh, 
you really want Jimmy Graham to be a factor in this game because that's going to make Harrison Smith stay in coverage. Now, he's good. I'm not saying he's bad in coverage, but you don't want Mike Zimmer to be able to get creative and use him as far as blitzing because he, he he's always made plays against the Packers. So you don't want him around the line of scrimmage. You want him, you want Jimmy Graham to kind of keep him honest. Uh, I know they have, was it Anthony Harris or something like that, but he's not Harrison Smith. Um, if they don't control Jimmy Graham in this game, the Vikings will lose. But they have to control Jimmy Graham. Um, Devontae Adams, I think, he may get his, but I'm fine with leaving Xavier Rhodes on Devontae Adams all game. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. If they get Jimmy Graham going, they can open up everything in the run game. And also, you can get uh, Marquez, Scantling, whatever his name is, man. Scantling. If you get him going, Jimmy Graham going, they can open up Scantling for big plays. He's their speed guy. So... Aaron Jones, that run game, the offensive line pass protection, and Jimmy Graham are the keys to victory for the Green Bay Packers. The next game, my Oakland Raiders hosting the Kansas City Chiefs in the Yo.co Coliseum. Um, I think this is easy for the Raiders. On offense, well, easy for the Raiders for keys, keys to victory. Keys to victory for the Raiders, long, sustained drives to keep Patrick Mahomes off the field. If it comes down to us going mono mono blow for blow, I don't think we're, we're not built to um, play the Kansas City Chiefs like that. We're not built for that. We're not built for that. Long, sustained drafts. Josh Jacobs, if I'm John Gruden, Kansas City, the Kansas City Chiefs will see so much Josh, uh, Josh Jacobs in this game that they will have dreams about him. Um, I think Josh Jacobs should get close to 30 carries in this game. Not 30 touches. I'm saying 30 carries alone. If he don't get 30, I mean, give him 25 and you should, you know, between DeAndre and um, Jalen Rashard, give me 10 more. Um, but yeah, I think long sustained drafts. Um, I mean, if you really have to, well, I mean, you know Derek Carr can go deep and hit Terrell Williams, but uh, I'm not a quick strike offense. I don't think that's going to work in the end for us. So I think long sustained drives, keep Patrick Mahomes off the field, wear out that defense, and we win the game. That's that's easy. On defense, I think um, um, defense, I think uh, stopping their run, First and, first and second down, make Patrick Mahomes play from behind the chains. That's pretty much it. If our offense does what we have to do, control the, you know, control the ball um, and limit Patrick Mahomes' possessions, and our defense plays, keep them behind the chains, 38, 39, we, we really have a chance with that. If we can get a few stops and then our offense, you know, continues to go down the field or where there's defense down, then they're gonna kind of they're gonna be out of their game if we want to mention them. And then that's where we can that's where we can be creative and you know create pressure. Um, but 
keep him behind the chains. And also on third down, the same thing with Big Ben. Make Patrick Mahomes play from inside the pocket. We should have controlled rush. In this game, I'm not too much worried about. I want pressure, but I'm not too much worried about sacks. And I think the defensive ends in this game have to be, you know, cognizant of him, you know, loving to, you know, bait you to go inside so he can go outside and extend plays. If... Now, if we do some stunts or whatever, and the guy goes inside, okay, I'm fine with that. But for straight up rushes, keep him inside, make him step up, keep the pocket. Again, Patrick Mahomes last year when he got in trouble, it's where when he got in trouble is when he stayed in the pocket, had to hold the ball, and actually try to fit the balls into windows. That's where he threw a lot of his interceptions and whatnot. I mean, he think he still had 12, 13 interceptions last year, and that's where he threw them. Uh, if he gets outside of that pocket and stand plays, they have too much speed for us to be able to keep up with. When Sammy Watkins can run, McCole Hartman is fast, is all outdoors. Uh, Sammy Watkins, Denard Robinson, you have all kind of uh, LaShawn McCoy, he can go out and extend plays. You can't have that, so... Um, keep him inside the pocket on defense keep him behind the chains offense, long sustained drives limit Patrick Mahomes possessions and if we do that we win this game because I don't think their defense is strong enough to, to uh, stop the run for four quarters and also good enough to you know if Derek Carr has that, run, that running game going they're not, I mean he's, he's, he's going to light them up um Especially how deadly accurate he was in against Denver. If he brings that to Kansas City, man, it's over. So um, for the Chiefs, <laughs> their keys of victory is, is easy. Also, establish the run game. If you establish the run game, um, you're gonna have plays that open downfield. It's gonna happen because we're gonna bring down Carl Joseph and that run game get established. We're gonna bring down Carl Joseph. Um, and then that leaves you with Curtis Riley in the back end. You know, so that's easy for them to establish the run game. If that happens, let Patrick Mahomes do, do what he does, and that'll be it. Defensively, stop the run. <laughs> easy for the Chiefs, stop the run. If you stop Josh Jacobs and your offense, you know, gets a lead, it, that was a just straight pass rush situations. I mean, um, I mean, you, you, you could, you know, force a couple three and outs. You could stop the, uh, the Raiders offense, but you never know. If you can get the car, I think that's your key. Get the car. Get the Derek car. If you get the Derek car, why? You can't see the win this game going away. So, um, so yesterday I picked the Raiders to win this game 28-26. And I'm going to stick with that. We win this game in the upset 28-26. The... Rams and Saints. Uh, I'm going to say for the Rams. Oh, just by the way, I picked the Rams in this game because I'm tired of all that pass interference talk. I think they just want to get it over with, tell them to shut up. We can beat you without referees. So that's how things are going to be. I think the, the key to the Rams winning this game 
I, I think y'all go send a theme with me. Run the ball. Get Todd Gurley going. Run the ball with Todd Gurley and get Cooper Cup involved in this game plan early. If Cooper Cup can control the middle of that field and get things going from the slot, that's going to open up uh, uh, Robert Woods and then that's going to leave you with probably Brandon Cooks one-on-one sometime with Eli Apple or P.J. Williams. But take advantage of that matchup because you're going to see P.J. Williams probably mostly going against Cooper Cup. Take advantage of that matchup. Cooper Cup is the key. Cooper Cup and Todd Gurley is the key. Is that run game going? Todd McVay can get anything. He can run all kind of things with his, you know, gadget plays and his gimmicky plays with the sweeps and all that. That run game uh, gets going. The Rams are not going to be able to stop this offense. I mean the Saints. Not going to be able to stop this offense. Because Todd McVay is going to pull all kind of tricks out of his hat then. So, um, defensively, when the Rams are on defense, uh, bring pressure up the middle to Drew Brees. Pressure him from the middle. Uh, they're gonna, uh, they're gonna use, they're gonna use Alvin Kamara in all kind of ways. But if you bring pressure up the middle, he's not gonna be able to get it to Alvin Kamara. So I don't think I think the, the best focus is stopping Alvin Kamara. I mean. That probably would be the obvious focus is to stop Alvin Kamara. But if you focus on that, Drew Brees is going to, you know, he got so many weapons, he can light you up. Jared, he has Jared Cook now. Of course, uh, Michael Thomas, Trey Corn Smith, Latavius Murray out the backfield. If you focus on um, keeping him a t- behind the chains also and bringing pressure straight up in his face, that's when Drew Brees gets in trouble. That's what the Cowboys did to him. That's what... The Saints did, to, I mean, the Rams did to him for most of that game in the playoffs. The Cowboys held him to 10 points because they got pressure in his face. So that's the key for the Rams on defense. For the Saints to win this game, um, um, keep pressure out of Drew Brees' face. Keep the inside of that, that offensive line, keep that clean. They did a great job with J.J. Watt uh, last Monday night. Did a great job neutralizing him, but do the same thing. I think um, use Alvin Kamara as a weapon. Use him as a weapon all over. Run game, passing game, but also establish a run with Latavius Murray also. That way you want that way you can keep Alvin Kamara a, a little fresh in his game to be your, you know, your weapon. To be your Swiss army knife. Establish Latavius Murray. And then Drew Brees, I mean, he's going to do the rest with that offense. On defense for the Saints, stop the run. If you stop the run, you're going to let Cam Jordan and um, Marcus Davenport, all those guys get after the quarterback. Stop the run. That's it. Stop the run. Get off the field on third downs. You you must win third downs against the Rams offense. If the Saints start to run and win third down, you will win this game. So, that's it. Key to victory for me for the Rams and Saints. The Eagles and Falcons. I picked the Eagles to win this game. Um, I don't know what my score was. Um, 
think I might have said 34, 31, or 34, 30, some of that sort. Um, for the Eagles, offensively, I'm gonna say, hmm, the Eagles are a diverse offense, so I'm gonna make it simple for this one. Keep Carson Wentz clean. That's it. Keep Carson Wentz clean and keep him clean and um, that's it. That's the only thing. On offense, keep Carson Wentz clean. The rest of it will take care of itself. Defensively, get to Matt Ryan. Send pressure at Matt Ryan. Blitz. Do whatever you have to do, but get pressure on Matt Ryan. Get pressure because your secondary cannot. First of all, stop the run. Get them in third and long and bring pressure because the secondary cannot hold up against Matt Ryan if you don't do that. If you don't get pressure on them, you don't blitz them, you don't have them behind the chains, you're not going to get pressure on them. I mean, you're not going to beat the Falcons. And I say behind the chains because that, that allows you to blitz. He has to get his ball get the ball out of his hands quickly. If he's able to get the ball out of his, out of his hands, he has to do so quickly. Which means, you know, he has to get the ball out of his hands quick. Receiver gets it probably a way short of the uh, first down marker. You come up and make the tackle. The Falcons are off the field. And your defense is off the field. So, if you stop Devontae Freeman, come after Matt Ryan. I'm talking about come after him. Um, keep him in third and longs. The Falcons win. I mean, yeah, the Eagles win this game. Eagles win this game. Um, for the Falcons, offensively, Devontae Freeman is he is going to be the key because the offensive line is not good. Get Devontae Freeman. You got to run at the Philadelphia Eagles and run straight at them. Don't go with the sideline to sideline these toss plays. Key for the Falcons to get there to win this game is get Devontae Freeman on downhill runs. Keep going at going inside the Eagles. They're not very big. They just lost Malik Jackson. So most likely Tim McJernigan will be the start. A smaller than was a tackle. Run right at the Eagles. Tim, a big reason why Tim McJernigan is not a starter is because of that. So run right at um, the Eagles in the middle of that defense get that run game established get your play action going if you do that you're going to be successful on offense because the Eagles um, are going to have to respect the run and their secondary is not strong so you're going to torture them if you can do that defensively only thing you can do is Get them behind the chains early in the down. On first down, get them behind the chains early. Because I don't think you can really hold up. You're not going to get pressure on Carson Wentz because you just don't have the guys to do it. And blitzing is not your forte. So um, get them behind the downs early. You know, get them in second and 10, second and 11, second and 12, and then third and nine. And you know, hope for you know, hope for the best with that. But I think the Falcons uh, offense have to go back to the Falcons offense. They have to 
kind of like what the Raiders got to do versus the Chiefs. Have long sustained drives and, and give Carson Wentz um, less possessions. Keep him off the field. Don't give him that many possessions. And the Falcons, if you get that run game going, and keep um, Carson Wentz and the Eagles behind the, the downs. Again, second and 11, third and nine. You know, keep him like that, and you will have a chance. So that's it, folks. That was my country five pick. That was the Steelers and the way the Seahawks at Steelers. The Vikings at the Green Bay Packers, the Kansas City Chiefs at the Oakland Raiders, the New Orleans Saints at the Los Angeles Rams, and the Philadelphia Eagles at the Atlanta Falcons. So that was my country five. That was my, those were my key two victories. So looking forward to the NFL week. Um, Very excited. Here's some very good games. Uh, hope you all enjoy your weekend. Hope you all be safe. Um, you know, have fun. You know, hang out with your friends and enjoy. Go to a bar and watch the game. I personally do not like to watch games like that. I like to watch games with a little peace and quiet. Um, but to each his own. So y'all go out and have fun, man. Looking forward to talking to you Monday to recap uh, some of those Sundays games and look forward to the Monday night game between the Cleveland Browns and the Trevor Simeons, excuse me, the New York Jets. (laughs) So, um, yeah, man, y'all enjoy your weekend. Uh, Until next time, Country Smoke Podcast, the host Big Country, I'm out.